There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. We will continue exploring, discovering new worlds and new civilizations. Welcome to The Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... It's me. <laughs> I am Redshirt. I am Richard Dave. And tonight we'll be discussing, discussing episode 13 of season three of Star Trek Discovery. See, I crack myself up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, what did you think of this episode, Dave? You know, it seemed preternaturally long to me. I, I think I checked like two thirds way through expecting to see, well, there's only going to be five minutes left. And it was like two thirds of the way through. And I'm like, geez. Right. There were so many, I don't know, set pieces that we had to follow. You know, it was Burnham's effort that was on uh, Planet Sukal. Right. And uh, whatever's going on with Vance and, and Osira. And, uh, you know, it's all part, important parts of, of the whole story, but it, it just seemed to go on forever. I was I was surprised it seemed it was that long. I mean, it was an I think the episode itself lasted like an hour, but that, I don't know, they could have added in the uh, commercials for that. Right. My biggest complaint from the whole season, though, as we talked before we went on on air, is that it seems like Star Trek or the writer's rooms across the, its mythos seems to be abandoning science for like fairy tales that happened in Picard and now this. It just seems to be more fairy tale than hard science. I know it's science fiction. There's no such thing as hard science, science right. fiction, but at least you least it has more to it. I mean, I, they gave cogent explanations for what's going on, but it was almost like they would wish something to come true and it would happen in the story, how conveniently. Right. Like the best example is book <laughs> and his role in right. the finale here. So good thing he's here. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's not we, only hot. He's not only hot, but he's a, he's an amazing empath that can do anything. That's that, that's a genie from the lamp wish come true. Right. Yeah. Because we had discussed that the possibility of Aurelio being able to use the spore drive, and yeah, it, it didn't even dawn on us that maybe it was going to be book. So. Why, why would it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Why would it? I mean, that was a reach. I was that adrenaline going, working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm really? trying. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It's just like, I mean, the people complain. It's kind of like a Star Wars had a problem at the end where in the last three movies, we're in the middle movie, can't remember the name of it, everyone seemed to have the force. I mean, why should it be just the Skywalkers? It's a little boy sweeping up right. for the Star and I'm like, whoa, that's ridiculous. It's this, First of all, it's the Skywalker saga. Hello, that's how it started. Secondly, if everyone has it, what makes them important? What makes the force? That's like everyone being Superman. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, if everyone's Superman, what's the big deal? It's just another day. They, <laughs> Boomer talk early, Steve. Right. It was an old, uh, was an old uh, Monty Python episode where everyone was Superman. And they all talked, hello, hi, how are you? I yes. am good. <laughs> and everyone was Super Bowl, but uh, Super... A superhero, and the only guy that was different was Bicycle Repairman. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, bicycle repairman. <laughs> like any superhero would need a bicycle. <laughs> I know. I know. That's the whole ridiculous conceit behind all of this. Right. You, know? you can't have everyone having the force because what difference would it make then? You can't have everyone Superman and you just can't invent Genie Slamp where everything works out for you at the end. Right. <laughs> all right. I'll take a pill. <laughs> right. Now, I thought they did a, a really good job with the emotional beats of the episode. And that's what I really enjoyed the most about the episode was the emotional beats with Tilly and the bridge crew and Burnham and of course Saru and Sakal. I thought they did a really good job of having Saru not really force his way onto Sukal, but to to manage yeah. it very gently because, yeah, Sukal's 125 years old, but he's really a five-year-old emotionally yeah. and mentally. So I thought they did a really good job there. Yeah, and there were some unsung heroes. Right. Uh, those emotional beats too, like like Joanne Owo and Gray. Yes. And and Book, they, they were all like, <laughs> they're kind of like the breakout stars of the season. Right. Right. I totally agree with that. All right. Well, shall we get into this? Episode 13, That Hope Is You, Part 2. As the Emerald Chain tightened its grip on the mystery of the burn is finally solved, Burnham and the crew have one last chance to save themselves and the Federation. Until next season, that is. Yes. <laughs> well, we open on the Dilithium planet where Saru is attempting to broach conversations with Sukal delicately. Culber sets up the stakes of their situation as the Kelpians' outbursts in the previous encounter caused a breach in the ship's hull, letting more deadly radiation in. The two are then greeted by Adira, radiation medicine in hand to help the situation. Yeah, that's another genie in the lamp moment. Right. But the we're, do we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> yes. Well, Saru put it pretty well saying, yeah, this only buys us a couple more hours, so. Yeah, yeah well, they would have been dead. Yeah. <laughs> but the bigger piece of news is who alongside them? Gray, Adira's deceased boyfriend. For the first time, everyone can see him, verifying that anything is possible in this hollow environment. He looked better as a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that was really cool. I thought uh, Adira looked really cool, too. Yeah, Zahan. <laughs> that was yeah. awesome. Meanwhile, Osira and the Emerald Chain are using both the Viridian and Discovery to fire upon the Federation after negotiations broke down in last week's episode. The bridge crew is attempting to take back the ship, aided in the firefight by drones controlled by Discovery's sphere data. But their situation gets more dire as they quickly realize Osira has turned off life support, attending to kill them slowly. The yeah, only like way a, to die. Another, yeah, it's the only way to die. It's like a, a typical Bond villain. Well, there's another Bond villain moment later. Right. Know, I'm going to kill you slowly. <laughs> Why would you do that? Just yeah. kill him. <laughs> Inside Federation HQ, recent arrival Stamets tries to stop Vance from destroying Discovery. While Stamets attempts to convince Vance to let him return to the ship, the Admiral refuses. And yeah, it that's was... why he's an Admiral, too. Exactly. I mean, he wasn't even listening to Kovic. Yeah. Because Kovic yeah. was going, don't do that. You're going to destroy our only way to talk to everybody. And he goes, yeah. Well, not if Osira gets it. Then we're done. <laughs> yeah, really. Which do you want? Yeah. Soon, when things look dire for Starfleet, they are saved by a fleet from Navarre. 
I wouldn't say saved, but aided yeah, at least. That was really kind of disappointingly undercut. That was supposed to be the uh, cavalry riding to the rescue, but really it was just a minor, minor plot point. Oh, absolutely. In response, Osira threatens to release pesticides to choke out all the Federation ships. Desperate, a captured Michael Burnham pleads with Vance to let Discovery go and trust that they will save the day. Frustrated beyond words, the, the Admiral complies, allowing both ships to escape the fire. Amazing that he was able to actually believe that, yes, I've got to let her have this chance to <laughs> save the ship. Well, it is her show. Angry right. swipe. He does the angry swipe across the comm. Yes. <laughs> Fine. And, of course, Osira doesn't think that it's did anything, but then she's told that the yeah. Federation fleets are not following them, so... <laughs> Fortunately, there's somebody on the bridge still doing their job. Right. <laughs> hey, they're, they're moving. Oh, good. I was just about to blast everybody. <laughs> yes. Now, away from enemy fire, Osira next concentrates on torturing Book to get information out of him about the Dilithium planet. Her scientist, Aurelio, begs for her to show mercy, but the Orion shows her true colors when she not only moves forward with the torture, but threatens Aurelio's life in the process. Well, that he finally too. found out what she's really, truly about. <laughs> <laughs> Chokes it out of him. Yeah. Next time you'll die. Yeah, that's nice. Thanks, Mom, or sister, whatever you are to me. <laughs> yeah. As Book cries in agony, Osira makes her pitch to Michael, claiming all her friends are near death and the Federation is a shell of what it once was. But Michael proceeds to take that pitch and turn it into a home run as she puts up a force field to allow her and Book to make their escape. That was a good part. That was one of my favorite parts. Yes. Where she finally relied on her, her guile and quick thinking. Right. Making making some of a good captain, by the way. Yes. You know, and, and that, you know what it was? That was organic to who she is and what Star Trek's all about, too. There's always, or Batman, <laughs> there's always there's always a plan A, B, or C. Right. You know, just let me get in that position so I can do this. Yes. It, it didn't require magic genie out of the bottle. No. And it was great that she <laughs> shot book with... <laughs> <laughs> a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> I was watching on TV and I looked at Osiris like, sucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, back on the dilithium planet, Saru and Sukal bond over making traditional Kelpian food, and Saru reveals he is actually Kelpian as well. Sukal notes that the hollow environment he has lived in for over a century has begun to change, and that his fear of the outside comes from the fact that the Federation never made the rescue he was promised. Ooh, is he petulant? Yes. Saru, Saru once again walks a line as he discusses the burn and compares Sukal's crossroads to one he experienced, whether to stay in safety or journey out to the universe for challenge. In beauty, I'll take B anytime. Yeah, his motivational speech is interrupted though by the appearance of the creature that has been hunting Sukal, which was really cool. That thing was really cool. Yes, it was. I'm trying to think of a name. It was like some soupy, snaky, ghostly black thing. Yeah, awesome. Kelp, kelp monster. <laughs> yeah, the kelp monster. Kelpian runs off with Saru in pursuit elsewhere. Culber vocalizes his theory about Sukal and his apparent powers. His genes were affected in utero, which allowed him to connect with the Dilithium that surrounds him. Adira realizes he also has a connection to subspace, which allows him to send out powerful disturbances. The burn was evidently caused by one of these emotional reactions. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Sending out a subspace ripple that proved devastating. That's where I say they use science, but it's more fairy tale than science. Yeah. <laughs> 
To me, just to me. Right. Michael uses a, on to Michael. She uses a stolen regulator badge to send out a coded message to the bridge crew. Uh, she refers to the time she and Tilly spent her birthday playing poker and drinking while hiding up in the cell. Wow. That, you know, shouldn't have, someone on the bridge probably saw that and like, oh, what are they doing? Right. <laughs> you, you, if you discharge a weapon or if you're hiding up in the cell, boozing it up with a, po- a deck of cards. Have you seen those two lately? Yeah. Yeah. I know where they are. Right. <laughs> the acting cabin reads between the lines to figure out Michael's suggested plan. Blow up in a cell to knock Discovery out of warp and allow their allies to catch up. I'm not sure that's what I would have thought, but I'm, I'm glad Tilly thought, thought that. Right. Oh, that's one of those wretched stories. You know what? That's a, the, Here I am. I'm going down complaint lane again. Yes. They, they come up with a wretched, yes. <laughs> they come up with a retroactive story from someone past because we had no idea. I'm sure it's plausible that this story exists, but now it's pretty convenient. Right. He's doing. Joanne has her own later on. But continuing on, not for my rant on Unfortunately, the bridge crew falters due to lack of oxygen, leaving Joanne to take the bomb on her own. And she has her own story. Well, I've been holding my breath since I was a little kid. Ooh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Michael and Book take the flight to a turbo lift where they're confronted by Zara and another set of the regulators. Noting the chain has control of the system, Michael takes a literal leap of faith and hops onto a moving lift, leaving Book and Zara to fight it out. Book would make quick work of Zara and his black hand there. Yes. <laughs> As the couriers do battle, Book pulls a Linitis and dropkicks Zara to his death and complimenting his cat in the press. She's a queen. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny that it took Zara calling the cat fat that really I know. motivated book. <laughs> I know. Meanwhile, Michael commandeers another lift and takes it to the data core where Osara meets her, like a good villain. Just then, Joanne successfully detonates the bomb, sending the ship spinning out of orbit and passing out in the process. Okay, Steve, I have one thing to add here. Okay. Scale. The scale. When they get on the turbo lifts and start humming around there, that right. ship is ginormous. No way. No way. We've seen what they look like on the bridge, right? Standing on the bridge. Right. And we've seen handbacks, you know, like of a camera from the bridge. So we get a scale of what it's like for a human to be on that ship. And to see all those turbolifts zipping in around that massive, mass, now massive ship, I'm like, no way. That scale doesn't make sense at all. But didn't we <laughs> also see something similar in the reboot movies? We did. They filmed that inside a, uh, a brewery. Right, yes. And, uh, which almost, I mean, it was cool. It gave a gigantic scale, but though, that's a constitution class. At least that's big. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the only thing that bothered me with that uh, back in the movie is that, uh, really, pipes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pipes. Pipes, and I mean, it looked cool, but pipes and steam and all that stuff in a starship? Come on. Right. Just like later in this episode when she reboots the computer and all this, it starts venting steam? Yeah. Or something? <laughs> okay. All right, I'm stuck. Again, what was that like? My fifth rant? So yeah. go ahead, Steve. Take, take it away. <laughs> Despite the monetary setback, Osira moves Discovery into the Viridian and sets her sights on Michael. Nice fight scene between the two, but finally Osira yep. gets the upper hand and engulfs Michael in programmable matter, boasting that she will not make the same mistake of trying to diplomacy as she did with Vance. But it's Michael who ultimately gets the last word, killing the Orion via a few headshots from inside the matter. 
Slick trick. Cool. Yeah. Michael pulls herself out and successfully reboots the ship, bringing life support back up and beaming out all the regulators. Did uh, she or his spit out yeah, pieces of that programmable matter? Yes. He's on her hands and he's just like, two. Yeah, get this yeah, out of me now. <laughs> yeah. The crew gathers together back on the bridge, but they're far from out of the woods. The ship still needs to escape from the Viridian, which is firing on them from within. Michael suggests another risky plan, ejecting the warp core to blow up the chain ship while they jump back to the Veruban Nebula. In place of Stamets, their spore drive conduit would be booked. As Aurelio suggests, the courier's empathic nature can have him connect with the tardigrade DNA that powers the system. Not only does everyone accept the plan, but Tilly actually cedes control to Michael, saying that they need her leadership at this moment. Yeah, so much for Tilly's moment. It's too bad. She... uh, her character deserved a little bit better, but her, right. her command plotline really didn't amount to much of anything. Right. And there goes rant number six. I yes. hope everyone's keeping count with me. Yes. With Michael <laughs> in the control, they go through the steps through, though all we see is the Viridian's explosion, unsure about Discovery's success in, a, in, an, in an escape. Go back to the planet where Sukal's reality continues to fall apart as he realizes the hollow elder who used to comfort him with stories is now gone. But Saru affirms that he will be there for his fellow Kelpian, convincing Sukal to take him to the door he has kept barred up to this point. There, he and Culber get him to take a leap of faith, finally turning off the hollow environment, causing Gray to disappear. Now, that was another one of those really emotional beats where Gray just freaks out that nobody's ever going to see her again, and Culber convinces her that they will find a way to make her seen to everybody. And- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a feeling, you know, we're going to see Gray in the future become a, a semi-regular guess, a recurring character. Oh, absolutely. Right? I have yeah. a feeling. Because the the hollow matrix recognized her as a being, even though she wasn't yeah. corporeal and made her that way, we're going to see the return of the, what is it, the hollow emitters that the doctor used yeah. to get around. Yeah. And that's yeah. how we're going to get Gray back as a full-time character. Yeah, I'm glad. That was one of the successes of the season two was the Gray character. Right. Now, surrounded by the reality of the, the collapsing ship, Sukal relives the event that caused the moon. <laughs> His mother and family's death at large. And yeah, a five-year-old kid is going to have a huge emotional outburst seeing his mother die. Yeah, that was a little grim, too. Yes, it was. Sukal receives a posthumous message from his mother, Dr. Issa, telling him to return to Kaminar upon rescue and that his parents will always be shining down on him from the brightest sun in the sky. Finally realizing he was the source of the burn, Sukal is desperate to fix what he unintentionally broke years ago. Saru is there to comfort him, promising he will help him find peace. The group is soon hailed by Discovery, revealed to have made it out just in time, and they're able to rescue everyone right as the ship fully collapses. Of course. Just of course. Just a time. <laughs> I know it. Oh, the magic genie works again. What was I going to say? I was going to tell you something. Oh, do you think that they, I, I find it hard to believe they would ever explore that, though, with uh, Sukal being desperate to fix it. it why bother? How And how? Unless they use another magic genie type of plot device. It would have been easier if they used actual science and have Burnham 
caused the burn right. uh, with a pairing nine and then using science. If it was, it, I mean, they were sniffing around the other timeline stuff uh, earlier. Right. With, uh, what's her name? Georgina. What is it? Yeah, Georgina. Philip, Philippa. Yeah, Philippa. They, they were dancing around different timelines and universes. So that would have made more sense if they, if they wanted to fix it, they just fix the timeline. At least that's more of in the parameters of the science that exists. Right. Even if it is in theory. Right. Now, I can see Sukal actually still wanting to help, and Saru and Sukal will come back and join the Discovery crew. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be Saru will convince him that, yeah, if you really want to help, then you can help us put the Federation back together. It's going to take him 125 years, though, to, to, to mature. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the last sequence of the season, Michael narrates the instinctual need for a connection as sentient beings. We see a montage of the aftermath from these recent events as the trill end of our leaders alike visit Federation HQ in the hopes of rejoining or joining Starfleet. Saru takes a leave of absence to go to Kaminar with Sukal as the two silently look up at the night sky together. They have an interesting night sky with those fireflies going by. (laughs) (laughs) There's even a brief appearance from Sahil, the very first person we saw in season, having found the Federation he was desperately, he had desperately sought out. That was a nice touch. Yes, it was. I hope they find a way to have his character recur, too. Right. Michael's narration takes her into a meeting with Vance, who compares her to his daughter and a similar means of doing things their own way. Wow, she's always somebody's daughter. <laughs> Philippa and now Vance. Despite their differences in the past, he, he commends her unorthodox approach and asks her to become Discovery's new captain in through absence. So you know what, Steve? Yep. The biggest conceit behind this show, well, one of them, was... You don't have to be captain of the ship to be the lead character. Boy, right. did they give up on that. Yeah. They just, that, they tossed it. And, they, and along with that, the bridge crew is secondary too. It's more interesting to have people that are below decks. Wrong again. <laughs> I mean, they, that cast of the bridge crew is great. I love them. Right. You know, maybe not as much as Joanne loves them. Yeah. I love you guys. <laughs> but they turned out to be a lot better. And it is valuable. And the captain has to lead. You know, we, it, we could, we were sniffing around it ourselves. Right. Like I, I think I discussed with you several times, like, why should this show be about uh, Michael anymore? She, she's got her boyfriend. She's happy in her job. So what's the why did she send her? Well, I guess they were says, well, let's just make her captain and, and toss that whole thing where the captain has to be head of the show. Right. I wonder if they feel guilty about that. I don't I think mean, so. From, from what I not. heard on the ready room was that was the plan all along was to get Michael to the captain's chair this season. So, yeah, but it, that's not how the show started the show right started. yes absolutely sh- it didn't start in seats so I, I hope somebody was standing in the background and went <coughs> bullshit <laughs> <laughs> So, as I said, despite their differences in the past, he commends her for her unorthodox approach and Esther becomes the Discovery's new captain. The ship's new mission will bring dilithium from the newly discovered planet to planets in need, helping uh, rebuild hope in the galaxy in the process. Though we don't see Michael's response to the offer, the next scene with her in a new Federation uniform responding to Captain on the Bridge is all we need to know. She agreed by a similarly decorated crew and all went regard her kindly, except for Stamets, that ends. Yes. I like that look on his face. 
he's like, yeah, but no. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> but no. Mike takes to the captain's chair for the first delivery mission and the two simple words, let's fly. Discovery is off to another season. It, it would have been so much. Oh, this may or may not be my final rant. She should have <laughs> said black alert. She should have stared right in the camera. I know she said it like a few beats earlier. Right. She should have stared right into the camera and said black alert. That would have resonated on so many different levels. Right. But instead, you know, let's fly. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they should have had somebody's zipper going up in the background. <laughs> no. no, no, no. So, Steve, ready for a few Easter eggs and uh, maybe some additional boomer talk? All right, let's do it. Okay. While exploring the hollow environment, Culver's... Oh, speaking of Culver, he had a breakout season, too. Yes, he did. Yeah, it was pretty good. I'm yeah. glad his, his character returned to, like, normal, his season one character, and he wasn't petulant Culver right. anymore. Yes. He was really he was really a leader. Yes. He's a family family leader, a leader as the doctor, and a leader in the, I don't know, in leading in the team, in the science and uh, command structure, really. Yep. So, good old Culver sees an image of those flying monsters from episode 11. Yes, the education, educational computer confirms this is a gormagander. Hello, Stranger Things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we first meet the gormagander in Discovery Season 1 episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, because they like alliterations with their titles. The computer mentions that this lovely space whale spent the longest time in the Federation Endangered Species list. Well, they should have just asked 11. Yeah. <laughs> it also says that what we're seeing is a recording of a Gormagander pup in 3052, implying it's possible the Gormagander is not on the endangered species in 3189. I, or they may be completely gone by now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got a feeling we're going to see another one. There's going to be an episode. Right. That'll be their space alien, uh, space whale. Right. The Kelpian holodeck portrayed Adira as a Sahian. 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 First introduced in the short tricks runaway and it looked pretty awesome i yes. like that we first saw the zahians in the form of queen poe in the very first short trek episode ever runaway we also saw a zahian in the first episode of picard remembrance well, this is probably the best looking zahian everyone's species gets changed in a hollow environment now the culver saru it, it can see gray thanks to the hollow Gru doesn't appear trill but he's appeared vulcan it's, it's too bad they can't keep him that way do you yes. awesome <laughs> i keep one i know his name's gray but i keep wanting to call him blue yeah <laughs> his hair was even more blue as a Vulcan. Yep. <laughs> Dr. Culber's techno babble about dilithium affecting Sakul in utero is somewhat based on the real genetic science behind polyploidy. Did I pronounce that right? Polyploidy? Close enough for me. Close <laughs> enough for me. Admiral Vance says that the new USS Voyager will take point in attacking the Emerald Chain forces. Oh, if we'd only seen their bridge crew, what they look yes. like. Yes! That would awesome. We didn't even this really makes... see the ship attacking them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This makes it seem like Voyager's a pretty big deal in the contemporary Federation. Could it be the flagship? That was kind of a small ship, too. Yes. I've got what class it is. We also ask, where's the 32nd inch, uh, century version of USS Enterprise? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. You're going to throw that name away of all the names? Right. No, no sense of history. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it was stuck in deep space, and when they get some dilithium out there, we'll see its return. Yep. Would it's that, very possible. That'd be cool. Yes, it so would. There's, there's or two. they'll build a new one now that we got yeah. dilithium. Yeah, and there's two episodes that I have written for them already next year. Space Whales, yep. Gormaganders, and hopefully they'll call uh, one of the crew members 11, or it'll be uh, 6 of 5. Yeah. <laughs> 7 of 9, 6 of 5, hey, that equals 11. Okay, at one point we're told that life support was shut off on Discovery's lower decks. Obviously, this this is meant to literally tell us that you know that life support was shut off on Discovery's lower decks. But we did get to hear the word lower decks, which is kind of funny considering that's the name of the Trek series that aired. 
previous to Discovery Season 3. Yeah. I'm willing to say some of the, I know it was an animated version, but some of their animation was almost as impressive as the animation. We, I mean, the uh, special effects we got with ship fighting this year. Oh, absolutely. Any of you listening out there haven't seen uh, Lower Decks, check it out. It's pretty good. Yes, it is. And like that hope is you part two, the Lower Decks finale also feature a plot to take over the hero starship. And also like the Lower Decks finale, at one point, the ship briefly has a warp nacelle broken. It's like Star Trek poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> this piece of dialogue could get missed pretty quickly, but with the Navar fleet arrives to defend the Federation, one of Osiris' goons describes the fleet of starships as razors, which is cool. Yes. Cool name for spaceship, right? Yep. This is a, certainly like it has a, a Romulan <laughs> influence. And, <laughs> yep. and what was the name of the uh, ship on uh, the Mandal- Mandalorian? The Razor Crest. Razor Crest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do they have? Adjoining rooms or something? Yes. They got the the glass to the door and they're listening to each other. (laughs) They're not supposed to talk, but they hold up little signs and press it against the glass. Yeah. (laughs) The other one mouths the words, thank you. Osiris says, Ryan Hart has six valves. It appears that this is the first time this detail has ever been revealed in Star Trek canon. Could this have something to do with the infamous Orion pheromones? Maybe. Yep. We know all about uh, Vulcan hearts. Yep. Zara makes another Calypso reference. Reference uh, talking about the Alcorian Sarahawk. Tauntingly, Zara tells yeah. Burnham that this is kind of a no called a no win situation. Burnham fires back, I don't believe in those. True Bond villain moment. Yes. <laughs> this guy this guy's never watched a 007 movie. Don't open your big fat mouth <laughs> and taunt <Exactly>. somebody. <laughs> Especially when there's like a big open ledge behind you or yeah. whatever. Someone obviously this references Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, and the Star uh Starfleet test known as the Kobayashi Maru. Here's the question. Did Burnham actually take the Kobayashi Maru test? Because she has given a Starfleet commission by directly serving on the USS Shenzhou. It's possible Burnham's training was a little training was a little different. Even so, chronologically, Burnham's Starfleet education technically predates Kirk's. It is all possible. Is it at all possible that the Kobayashi Maru scenario wasn't part of Starfleet curriculum in 2249? You know what? I don't know what made me think of this. It's the way my brain works. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna explain that to me. I was thinking of future Star Trek. What is the next one coming up? Uh, it's the it's the one with Captain what's his yeah, name? Stranger uh, Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds, yeah. I am hoping that there'll be a time on the bridge where he'll be sitting there and it'll get a message. Hey, guess what? Someone uh, someone beat the uh, Kobayashi Maru test. And he's like, what? That's yeah, impossible. Right. <laughs> Just make that reference. Some kid beat it. Yeah. <clears throat> oh mentions that she's been holding her breath for up to 10 minutes since she was a, a little kid. What's up with that? Is always is always superhuman? No. But that that's <laughs> that's another one of those retro memories we're introduced to that makes sense in, in the context that we have now. But is she superhuman? She is to me. Yep. She's just <laughs> another one of the breakout characters from this season. Yep. As we learned back in season two, of, uh, season two episode, New Eden, Oosukun was raised in a Luddite collective, meaning she grew up with limited technology. Presumably, this means her family and her community fostered a bunch of attention to naturalist survival skills. Well, that came in handy. Yeah. <laughs> Fans may have been wondering about this new bridge officer who's been hanging out with the rest of the regular crew. The, the character's name is Lieutenant Ina, and she's played by Ava Blackwell. She's actually not a new cast cast member, though. Blackwell has played several characters before, notably all of the uh, Osun, uh, say it for me, Steve, 
Ocinellus. <laughs> yeah, species. Confused as to what that means. Well, the uh, Ocinellus, or big-headed alien that we've seen in Ava Blackwell since season one. For the most part, these aliens are usually played by Ava Blackwell. Yep, seeing them. Still, I'm like, who is this? Yes. Where's my, where's my favorite Captain, I mean, uh, Lieutenant Nielsen? Yeah. Ugh. She's hanging out with Jet Reno. Yeah, must have been. And you know, I know, I know where they were. They're up and in the cell, yeah. drinking, playing poker. Right. <laughs> when Book and Burnham battle their way through the turbo lift of the ship, fans will notice that these turbo lifts are wildly different from anything we've seen in Trek before. Probably better too, less mechanical. Yes. Apparently, the Discovery's new turbo lifts are fully upgraded and don't, and now don't exist inside of turbo lift shafts. That's a good idea. Yeah. But instead, seem to be free floating pods that can move throughout the ship. You mean that giant? Enormous ship. Yes. <laughs> to anywhere world. Why do they need this feature when everyone has instant transporters, you may ask? Well, as demonstrated early in the season, transporter tech can still be thwarted by shields and certain kinds of dampening fields. The new turbo lifts, however, don't seem to have that problem. Oh, I'm sure we can come up with a problem for them. Yes. <laughs> the big question is, does Discovery seem bigger on the inside than we expected? In some of the words, morphing tech that Book has on, the ship, on his ship represents now on Discovery. <laughs> in other words, can the ship subtly change its shape with programmable matter? That's not, not a clear answer, but it seems kind of like it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's I, possible. And it's possible. And I have a genie lamp I want to sell you. <laughs> Tilly ordering Owo into the nacelles and certain deaths was like the command training program test when Troy had to do the same thing with Jordy in the Next Generation episode. Thine own self. Thine own self be true, Shakespeare. After Burnham reboots the Discovery computer, the voice returns to that of Julianne Grossman, Fist she has voiced the Discovery computer since season one. Note that the voice is different from Annabelle Wallace, who voices the Sphere Data and Zora. Well, I hope those girls get along. <laughs> Burnham says that the Viridian, the, uh, Viridian is firing on Discovery using anti-proton cannons. You have to say that with a deeper voice. Yes. In the original series episode, the Doomsday Machine, Commodore Decker told Kirk that the planet killer used a beam composed of pure anti-proton. In a time of the original series, that kind of tech seemed rowdy. But in the 32nd century future of Discovery, apparently it's no big deal. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I would like to see a return of that thing, too. I think it's going to bring back Guardian forever. Right. Back, oh, was that thing destroyed? I can't remember no this just floated off into space like a like a sad space whale in addition <laughs> to the computer core this episode marks the first time we've actually seen the warp core of the uss discovery it looks similar to the other warp core that we've seen throughout the history of track the idea of ejecting the warp cores in a desperate situation was broached several times throughout the canon yep can't do that at least at least once a season you get to accept the warp core yep by the way this actually occurs in the s in this episode, it seems to reference a 2009 reboot film, Star Trek, co-written by Discovery producer Alex Kurtzman. You know, that was kind of a bumpy ride for the Warp Core. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm like, you sure you want to rattle that thing around? Right. Has it descends down this tube? I mean, they, they can perfect turbo left technology as it just kind of scoots around this side of the massive ship. But when you inject the Warp Core, clank, clank, clank. <laughs> it's a good thing no one can watch that. They're like, Jesus Christ, that thing's going to blow up. Right. I mean, we've seen Warp Electro uh, cores ejected from a ship, and they just kind of like boom, you yeah. know, like I'm shooting out, like like they shoot like some vacuum, like tunnel, not <laughs> clanking down. Yes, <laughs> you know, the laundry chute. <laughs> Where are you gonna send it? Done the laundry chute. That's what we always do. Okay, there I go again. The young Zukal was played by David Benjamin Tomlinson, who was also appeared briefly as Linus in the final scene. Boy, they gave everybody a return job. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. When Discovery returns to the Federation headquarters at the end of the episode, several other ships seem to line 
line up in honor of the ship coming home. Yes, here they come. He told them not to turn their ship over, but they did it anyway. <laughs> Give them a parade. This seems to visually reference the finding of Star Trek Voyager Endgame, in which several other Starfleet ships seem to serve as an honor guard as Voyager returned to Earth. They'll never tire of ripping themselves off. Nope. <laughs> throughout, this, throughout the season, we've been seeing these new Starfleet uniforms on Admiral Vance and the rest of the officers in Federation HQ. But clearly, this is the first time we're seeing these on the new disco crew. Well, these new uniforms on the disco crew, that because the colors seem to follow the departmental designations from the next generation era, as burned uniform is naturally given a red stripe, naturally. Did you like the uniforms? Steve. They're going to have to grow on me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, it looks like they're getting ready for a formal or something. You sure you want to work in that every day? I don't think right. so. <laughs> yeah. They need, a, they need a pullover, gold pullover t-shirt like Kirk used to wear. <laughs> right. <laughs> in the first shot before she exits the turbo lift, we also see that the shoulder epaulet has four small pips indicating she is captain. Yep. That's like seeing uh, that mysterious Jedi aboard uh, the Mandalorian. Like, oh, look, he's wearing a glove. Yes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Tilly is notably wearing a uniform with a blue stripe, which makes it seem like Tilly's job is closer to the sciences than the command department, which makes sense. Note, it has uh, changed the red to in the post-production prior to airing the episode. Right. Somehow they apparently had released a photo of mm -hmm. the lineup there, and it was blue, but in the episode, they changed it to red in post-production <laughs> before the episode aired. <laughs> Get it together. Yep. Also, uh, also for the first time, Adira is, is given a Starfleet uniform, which again, makes sense. Adira has certainly done enough to prove they are ready for a Starfleet uniform, not to mention several previous hosts of Tal were very clear members of Starfleet. Yeah, why not? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, the guy who's been holding the, the fire, Lieutenant, from the beginning of the uh, this season is now, it looks like he's been commissioned formally yep. as Lieutenant, too. Yep. The mining ship, you, what? Oh, go ahead. The mining ship, okay. I just want to do a little mining ship talk, Steve. All you know? right. <laughs> I, I, everyone's like wrapping their fingers across their desk, like, when is Dave going to get to some mining ship talk? Here it is. The mining ship, USS Coloma, is aptly named for the town which sparked the California gold rush. There you go, everyone. Yep. Burnham. A little history. Burnham rocking. A little history. Yep. Burnham new rocking uh, commitment. Uh, there's a lot of California connections to uh, Lower Decks. Too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we might have to move the writing team to uh, close the window and Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> Get him a little... <laughs> Burnham rocking a command red uniform and sitting in the captain's chair marks the first time since Voyager's Endgame that a live-action Starfleet captain was rocking red. It looks good on her, don't you think? Let's fly. <laughs> well, we do have some feedback from our friend Fred from the Netherlands. I can't wait to hear what he thinks of this episode. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 13, the Season 3 Finale. Nice ending, everybody in new uniforms, Captain Burnham. I was a bit surprised about Admiral Vance. We all, or at least I, expected, and I saw that on internet as well, that he could have had a hidden agenda and that he actually could have been an evil person or a bad person. Well, so far, we didn't see anything of that. The only biggest mistake he made, I think, is that he didn't agree on a treaty with Odessa. He was there two Starfleet Rages. And Book survived, some people thought he wouldn't. I really wonder which position Saru will take when he comes back to the Discovery. 
I wonder if that invigilator Aurelio will stay around. Of course, also partly depends on the health of the actor who has ALS. Possibly a little bit of a nitpick is after they blew up one of the cells, they later could just fly with the discovery. I didn't care so much for the Sukal story, although in this episode the influence of the artwork of Asher has been shown even more with this whole staircase behind uh, Sukal and Saru. Another possible nitpick is that if you see how far these turbo lifts travel, then the discovery must be immense. Or I just have a wrong feeling for sizes here. And if you then realize that the discovery is fully incorporated into the Viridian, you can't imagine how large the Viridian then must be. I don't know why they took this name, by the way. I find his name Viridian very confusing. It always reminds me of Vidians in Star Trek Voyager. These scavengers of body organs because their own organs failed due to a disease called the phage. Steve and Dave. Thank you very much for this nice 13 week ride. Thank you very much for all you do for the podcast. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Fred, for going on this journey with us. Sounds like he we, had we, uh, some several nitpicks that kind of agreed <laughs> with the, <laughs> what you were saying, Dave. Yeah, he was more forgiving than me. Right. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I, we've, we've all heard Fred pissed off before. He raises <laughs> the point about uh, Osira, too. Right. And her reasons, you know, even back to what were her, we never find out her reasons for unification. Right. It couldn't, it, she didn't want to sing Kumbaya no. with anybody. No. Come on. But we, we didn't get a hint of the reason. Right. That she wanted to join. I know she she wanted the spore drive. Right. She wanted dilithium. I mean, that's duh. Yeah. <laughs> Still, she was willing to give up a lot, but there had to be a secret, you know, card she kept up her sleeve. Now we'll never know what it was. Right. Yeah. Well, she was going to put some puppet in there that would, that she's got her hands on that would do everything that she told that person to do. And so, yeah, it would have been one of those things where, yeah, We'll be good people until the Federation gets comfortable, and then then we'll just take them out once we right. get everything yeah. we need. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of having them shoot at us all the time, we're going to be on the same side, and then we'll shoot them in the back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, Fred, definitely the turbo lifts scenes were <laughs> immense. <laughs> and yeah, it was kind of hard to get a grip on size especially when the discovery fit inside the viridian now we knew it was pretty big but that big mm, i don't know <laughs> going inside a viridian must be like driving from uh cape cod to uh newport beach california then <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> well as always fred we really appreciate <laughs> your feedback and we will talk to you again soon hopefully and we also have some feedback from jazz so let's hear what she thinks of the season finale. Hello, this is Jazz with my review of Discovery season finale. I love the fact that when Gray was finally seen, he got, or they got, an immediate acceptance and hug. You said that he would help them to be seen later on, which I thought was awesome and definitely an acceptance in the family. I love the quote of, this is a no-win situation, and Berman said, we don't believe in gnomes. 
very punny, and I love I love that the macho sweetheart bully fell to his death after threatening the queen, which is only right. Uh, Berman was great with creating a plan that only Tilly would understand, and not everybody else who heard it. Tilly was smart to know what she meant, and gave it all gave them an option to pass or no, you know, so they didn't have to die doing that if they didn't want to, but they all agreed, and they worked well as a team. It showed great growth in all the characters, but especially in Tilly in her captain's role. That probably gave her years worth of experience in this one adventure. All the crew were selfless, and they got the mission done, and I was happy that they didn't use the trope of knocking off the minority crew member for the greater good, and that she was saved by the spear Wally robot, and then Tig and her returned the favor by saving the robot and bringing her, or him, her, back to life. So, because her lights shone back on and said, hello, Lieutenant. I just thought that was awesome. Speaking of that, it is 900 years in the future. So I'm sure that they've made drastic strides on how much data can be held in storage. So it probably takes just a small amount to hold the spear data, such as the robots, because it's 900 years ahead in the future. I'm sure it's gotten to be much smaller. And if you hear kitties in the background, that would be Squeaker, my podcat. I love the phrase, let's fly. I thought that was perfect. And I thought it was awesome that the regulators got spaced. And that was probably how the Federation knew that they took back the ship. And so they didn't have to give it to Rhett a notice. Oh, by the way, we took back Discovery, so please don't destroy it. And they told Navarre to move back so that they didn't get harmed. And I'm sure Stimmitz is mad that he is not only, he is no longer the only person who actually can make the spore drive work. So that will give him a confidence issue because he is no longer essential to that anymore. So I'm sure that will annoy him and he probably won't appreciate the fact that she's the captain and will give her guff and grief and may or may not try and knock her off. Maybe not. Since according to him, he jettisoned him and his family was, you know, left to rot and all that kind of stuff as far as he was concerned. Because he gave her no eye and not even a side eye when she had walked in. I love the fact that Saru actually got a connection to his people and got to go back home to his planet. And so now he has a connection. So when he goes back to his planet, if he comes back, then he'll have somebody to visit since I'm sure all of his relatives are gone after 900 years. And if he does come back, maybe he'll be the first officer. So people won't revolt by the fact that Doug is no longer part of the franchise. But if not, I would think that Tilly would be an awesome number one because she's certainly grown beyond an ensign based off of all the things she's had to go through. And it certainly isn't going to be Stemmons because he hates her guts. And everybody else is happy in the role that they're in. And it's not going to be Book because I'm not sure. I don't think he's part of Starfleet even though he was in a uniform. I didn't see a, a Starfleet insignia on his lapel like everybody else. So maybe they have him as a contractor. That's what the uniform signifies. But he did say yes, Captain, when everybody else said Captain on the bridge. All in all, I think that's awesome. Let's see. We said all the crew was safe, uh, selfless, and they kicked ass and took names. And I just thought it was an awesome episode. I thought Tilly kicked ass. I thought Berman kicked ass. I thought it was good that Tilly gave the captainship over to Berman since 
It was her idea, but I don't think that negates that Tully didn't do an awesome job. If you'll recall, the board came on board Enterprise and Next Generation and took Picard and they beamed in very quickly, took Picard and left. So there's a lot to be said for that happening to anybody, not just that particular group. I thought it was great that the uh, head of the Federation decided to send them on their own mission. You know, the being the deliverers of the dilithium. All in all, I'm looking forward to the next season. I thought it was wonderful that the bully got spaced, if I haven't said that already. I thought he totally deserved it. And I think everything is awesome. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Jazz, for that wonderful uh, review of the finale. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, it was nice to see Zareth get his uh, comeuppance when he insulted uh, the queen. <laughs> uh, it just goes to show you how artificial gravity works inside the spaceship, too. Right. <laughs> yeah, I do know that Doug Jones will be back in season four. Uh, he said so on the uh, ready room after the episode. And, of course, he was also part of the announcement that they were going into production for season four. So mm. I kind of expect he will end up being um, Burnham's number one. I Boy, just, I wouldn't accept that. Yeah. If, I was a num- <laughs> if I was captain and now I'm number one, I like find me something else to do. I don't want right. to be on the bridge. <laughs> it's possible. Now, of course, maybe, he maybe, can- maybe Stamets will be gone. He can take Stamets job. <laughs> yeah. She thinks she thinks Stamets is going to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> kill Burnham. I'm like, wow, she's, she's crazier than I am. <laughs> yeah. But I do think she's right that because book, was able to operate the spore drive, this is going to knock him down a few pegs, especially it, I know. being, um, what What did he say? A, um, uh, <laughs> a required crew member or something like that, an important one? <laughs> Maybe not so much. <laughs> he, he's been knocked down so much, he's going to need one of those footstools to brush his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, of course, Doug did mention that maybe he would become the ambassador to Kaminar. Yeah. So we might see him that way. They can make him a Commodore, you know. Sure. Absolutely. You know, work work under Vance and be in charge of, like, uh, a division of ships. Right. Which would have to include the Discovery. So And the the new Voyager. uh, Yeah, and Voyager. (laughs) That'd be cool. Absolutely. Well, Jazz, we really appreciate all your fantastic feedback over the season and looking forward to hearing from you again in the future. We'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode and looking forward to interacting on social media with all the great fans. How can the fans interact with us, Dave? Yeah, we didn't get to hear from Taryn, Taryn and Fred either. No. At the end, too. He was really, he must have been really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> You can go to Taryn Fred and regular Freds and all your everybody out there. Go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you will find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. On Twitter, is at Salier Steve, and I'm at the Real ID Dave. Please review and rate us on iTunes and every other platform you're listening to us on as good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Discovery podcasts out there. Tell your friends and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. Season 4 is in production, but no release date has been provided, so until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve, one where the sky has no limits and shines with all the breadth and wonder this new future has to offer us. 
<laughs> and this is Redshirt Dave. And I think Redshirt Dave deserves a bit of a promotion. I wasn't a big fan of, of this last season. And I think I know how an Elkorian Starhawk feels a little bit. But I realize at this point that that hope is me. 